This episode of How to Save the World is sponsored by Atik, a New Zealand zero-waste beauty company on a mission to rid the world of plastic waste. Check them out at atik.co.nz. That's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. Welcome to another episode of How to Save the World with myself, Tim Bat. Weebly Worth. And our special guest today, Sophie Hanford from, uh, well, from a couple of different organisations that sort of tap into the sustainability buzz. Uh, from Enviro School, is that right? Yeah, Enviro Schools, yeah. But more pertinently, what we want to uh, talk about today, the School Strikers for Climate. Yes. You're yep. one of the big organisers in New Zealand. I am. I'm the one that kind of initiated it along with a few others to bring the movement to Aotearoa. Mm, well done. Hey. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. Paki Paki, first off. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, it's great that you are here. Thank you very much. Because you're from Wellington, Sophie. Yes, I live in Carfidi, which is about an hour north of Wellington. Nice. A beautiful yeah. train ride, by the way. Beautiful. You pop over the, the hill and you see Carfidi Island. So picturesque. Mm. So yeah, nice. It's lovely. I used to work at a tiny little radio station a little more fm out there and i get the um train from the central city and it was for some reason the weather was always nice when i went out so i've just got this lovely memory of the beautiful coastline on the train take the train everyone um so this episode is actually being recorded before the uh global intergenerational uh strike and New Zealand's actually doing it seven days after everyone else. Is that right? Yeah. So there are actually two international dates for this intergenerational climate strike. One on the 20th of September and the other on the 27th. Well, both have happened because this is coming yeah. out oh, like, yeah. slightly <laughs> after both of those. We need a big sign saying it's October, everyone. <laughs> just to, just to let, yeah, So this is at the end, I think, the end of September, this episode is coming out. So... Um, that is so how was the strike how was the strike so no the strike was fantastic there were millions of people there we go that's what i want to hear so what we can talk about is the movement more broadly um i I would love to get a bit of an introduction for people who maybe Mm. have heard of it in passing but don't fully understand what's going on what its aims are so maybe we should start with um just basically you telling us what is the school strike for the climate and and how did it get started So Greta Thunberg, who's 16, from Sweden, she started this global movement of school strikers fighting for climate justice. So she sat outside the Swedish parliament because she was frustrated at the inaction of her leaders. And without knowing, that sparked a global movement of millions now. So at the start of this year, uh, I had the idea to bring that movement to New Zealand and got together a few people and then managed to rally a few more. And we kind of the movements just totally snowballed from there. Um, but we, within our organising team and the movement, we have about 70 organisers across the country. So oh, it's a big wow. movement. Um, and is it quite spread throughout the country? It's extremely st- spread. I mean, to be honest, some of the places that sent in an email saying they wanted to register a strike, I had to look up where they were on the map. <laughs> That's awesome. Because there are some places like, for example, Dunsandal, who yeah. they were 10 kids on the side of their state highway going oh, strong. Good on yeah. you, and, Kentabs. Yeah, That's, That's what I love about mm-hmm. the school strike movement is that anyone can register a strike we're happy to promote it no matter how many people they think will be there and the other cool thing which I love about the movement that people might not know is that we have kids as young as eight organizing events in their communities and the oldest person in the movement is 21 uh, in our organizing team so this is all being organized and all of the media and all of the background work contacting police and the councils is all being done by people between the ages of eight and 21. Wow 
impressive. That's so cool. Has there actually been like a bit of a um, cognizant decision to, to say to people outside of that kind of school age to, you know, sit this one out? Or are those people just, they haven't put their hands up to help? <laughs> I mean, I think the way the movement originated from a 16-year-old girl shows that um, it's kind of a youth-led movement just because the way she's been leading it internationally. So for us here, it's important that we stand in solidarity with those people mm. um, in the other generations. But um, when we've seen a lot of inaction from those generations that have come before us, we do feel that kind of weight of um, us young people actually needing to try and wake up a generation. But obviously we want to work alongside adults uh, and elders and, and others as well because, you know, they will have more experience than we have in in making a difference, essentially, and in the ways that we use our tactics to achieve our demands. And that, I guess, has particularly come through with the most recent intergenerational march that's happened around the yep. globe. And the, so this is this is still quite a young movement, right? And I mean that in terms of the Very movement young. itself is quite new. Um, Greta had only started uh, standing outside Parliament since last year, is that right? Yeah, yeah. a year ago. Is it e- exactly a year uh, yeah, it was a year ago, a couple of months back. Okay, so yeah. now Amazing. about 14 months. Amazing. Incredible, yeah. The most recent march, obviously we don't have the numbers on the one that's happening in a few days, um, but before this podcast came out. But the most recent one, I think a 1.6 million people marching. Like mm. that is just, that's crazy numbers. Yeah. It's insane. Do you feel like as someone within the movement that it's actually having an impact? Yeah. A hundred percent. I think we've we've seen that in the way that we've been having calls from the Prime Minister's PA mm. with her wanting to meet with us in the way that the conversation around climate change has started to shift in the way that Stuff um, released an article a few weeks back with the list of the people and the groups that are considered most influential in this time of the climate crisis and you know there was the Minister of Climate Change and the CEO of Fonterra and people from Air New Zealand and, and places like that but School Strike for Climate New Zealand was on that list. Fantastic. So I think that's just proving the impact that um, we're able to have and we've been told by the climate change minister himself James Shaw that the School Strike for Climate is an example that keeps coming up as um, almost giving the our leaders the social mandate and that kind of um, yeah, for them to be able to say that there are so many young people who are fighting for their future, they're they're fearful, they're scared, but they're also trying to um, unite with us to form this vision for a better world that we all know is possible. So I think it's quite uh, an inspiring call to action for our elected leaders, and I think that's that conversation is really starting to happen through Parliament. So it's very Definitely. exciting. It is it is inspiring, and I, it hits the heart. I, mm. It's really hard to to look you in the eye because it's it's. Usually, I think there's a combination. If you've got an older person and a young person, I think there'll be one of the two that doesn't really get it. Yeah, But Mm. in this case, it's like, I get it. I totally get it. I understand what sort of a world you're going into, what it will be like when you're my age. And it's like, it gets you. It gets your gut. It does. And it, it, it really does. And honestly, there are nights when I just can't stop shaking and I'm scared that you know, if, if I do want to bring kids into this world, that it won't be a place that I feel comfortable handing on to them. Um, but I also feel more hopeful than ever, actually, um, with the school strike movement and Indigenous peoples around the world standing up to fight for what they know is right. And I feel like this will end up becoming like, um, 
you know, who, who's actually on the right side of history. And that's been something that we've been trying to highlight to our MPs throughout the Zero Carbon Bill submission processes as well, is that when you look back and, you know, you're thinking about what kind of an MP you were and you're looking at this crisis and where we've gotten to, do you want to, you know, how are you going to feel if you look your grandkids in the eye and say that, you know what, I could have taken action, but I didn't, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I just feel like that that wouldn't sit well with a lot of people and, yeah, it doesn't sit do well you, Do you feel like they get it when you put it that way to these older, particularly dudes, who might be a bit resistant? <laughs> I think potentially because it does, as you just were saying, it um, it hits it hits them in the heart and it, it's something that is relevant to them. And it, it sucks that it takes something that's so personally relevant for them to care. Um, but I do think that that's a way to kind of connect with people's core values because obviously a lot of people do value their family Um, and if you show the impact that the climate crisis will have on the lives of people's family that's kind of a good way to connect the relevance and connect the dots for some people who might just be thinking oh well it's an issue which one won't affect New Zealand or two won't affect me because I'm wealthy or won't affect you know me because I'm older or or those kinds of things it's just about connecting it back to that that Mm. person Mm. so take me through a little bit about how the connections are happening and how the communication works within the movement within New Zealand like how, how does this all come together so we've actually only met each other once in person. Uh, we call every week on Sunday nights from eight thirty, so late nights. And some of our some of our youngest members have to hop Aww. off to go to bed, <laughs> and sometimes their parents are sitting in the background too. Yeah. Um, so we do all of our communications online, pretty much. Um, and it was amazing in the lead up, especially to the first one when we really didn't know much about each other, really. But we were just also focused on this this common goal, this common vision for our future that we just kind of gel so well. And I'm really happy to say that we've never really like had a really big argument that's like segmented the group or anything. Um, but we... Yeah, I mean, we try and create space for especially those younger kids coming through the movement. I mean, I'm 18 and I probably won't be in the movement for too much longer, but I might still be helping in the background, but I just want to support those younger students. Um, We have one of our youngest members, Lucy, who's 12 from Christchurch. You know, she chairs many of our calls. And the amazing thing is, is that people respect her for as a 12-year-old, just as much as they respect me as an 18-year-old and some of the university students involved. So it's amazing to see how everyone's so kind of gelled just because we're all, we all want and we all need to achieve those demands so, so badly. And if we're not committed to that, um, then we really don't know what our future will look like. So I think the fact that like, this is such a necessity and it's it's kind of that sense within the movement as well as like we're fighting for this not because we want to we don't want to be spending hours of our day I mean if if these eight and twelve year olds could just be out doing what mm. their friends are doing right now and playing on the playground and you know being kids then that would be awesome but the responsibility has fallen onto us Ooh. which is a shame mm. um, but it does feel like if we don't act now we'll be inheriting <laughs> the consequences of these decisions which ultimately aren't gonna do us any favor for what our future will look Mm. like it's such a full-on thing to hear you say and this is what gets me is that because tim and i both do a lot of communicating and 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 i think i've said this before often the response from people from adults when they when they have a moment where they get it where they really understand it oh this is a big deal someone should do something so often people say oh you guys should be in schools 
You got it's the that next generation that needs to know and understand that stuff. These are the guys that will be um, changing the world, and it's it, it it's so not right. It's just like actually no. It's the adults now that have to be adults. We've got the power mm. now. Children yeah. don't have power. Yeah. Um. And we don't have we don't even have ten years. It has to be yeah. this generation of adults that um, make some serious changes. Mm. And I guess it's your role to get those adults to realize that this is it guys it's now it's not in 10 or 20 years time mm, that's so true that's yeah i like I, what greta says as well that she um i think this was part of her speech to the maybe to the the european parliament the eu parliament where she mm-hmm. said like we're coming with it like things are going to change whether you want them to or yes, not yeah. we're, we're going to change mm-hmm. things so mm-hmm. you can either like get on board or not mm-hmm. yeah um, but yeah, it does seem like a hell of a burden to lump on uh, a bunch of, as you say, between eight and eighteen-year-olds predominantly who are doing this. Mm. Um, what's the sort of um, like information penetration like in your generation of people who are at high school at the moment? Like, so you're dealing with people in the movement who are obviously very um, energized about this and very activated, mm. but among kind of the just broad sweep of people who are teenagers at the moment at high school how conscious and sort of emotionally connected to this issue do you think they are I think it's becoming ever increasing every single day and I think that's just because of the way the conversation is changing Um, we were talking to someone from Greenpeace and they said that in the lead up to our first strike the social media engagement on climate change as a topic um, and the conversation around climate change in the media has, be, has had the biggest spike that they've seen in eight years, eight to ten years. Um, so I think that people are becoming ever-increasing of, of the issue of the climate crisis. But the thing I worry is that maybe people aren't becoming so aware of what they can do and that leaves them in a space of feeling paralysed or disempowered um, and kind of hopeless. Um, and that's what I feel like with the school strike movement. Uh, it's a way to show that you're not alone in this fight you like we can we can all take that action in our lives um and that's that's awesome but when it comes down to it that collective action i believe is what will truly get us over the line because if we have you know say we had the whole of new zealand on parliament lawns for example the government cannot ignore us they have the the social license of every single person in New Zealand to take the action that the school strikers are demanding. So that's the powerful thing I think about this as well and building those allies with groups like unions and teachers and parents and elders and all of those people as well um, to kind of achieve those demands. Is, are the climate strikers um, seeking those sorts of connections with outside groups at the moment or is it about sort of solidarity within the single issue and just you know not really wanting to compromise on anything? So the thing is with School Strike for Climate, we're not actually an organisation. Uh, we're not. We don't have any real structure. Um, we're quite fluid. We have a couple of teams within the movement, but as I said, very um, flat leadership structure, very fluid. We have no affiliations to any groups. Um, we are School Strike for Climate New Zealand. To keep the message simple, we have five main demands, and that's us. The thing that we're doing with other organisations is to kind of form those. Um, ally relationships so that those organisations can be supported to stand in solidarity with our message and our demands Um, and what we found is that a lot of the organisations are actually really in support of that because they appreciate that our message is probably best kept simple and 
direct and especially with younger people in the movement it's important that the demands and that vision for hope doesn't get lost in all of these different kind of outside um, potential outside objectives from different groups um, so what we found is we're kind of forming those relationships and partnerships um, but not in a formal way and also because we're just a movement um, we kind of have these informal partnerships and conversations where we're receiving support from um, other groups in terms of reaching our demands but yeah no kind of affiliation to any other groups. I think that's a, probably a good way to go. <laughs> it stops it going pear-shaped and, <laughs> yeah. and sort of turning if you try and tee up with a bunch of unions or something and then you're sort of connected to other issues. And mm. and you d- I think it's really great that it's not politicised at this point too because that yeah. is so key. And, that, and that actually you, you, you've been mentioning that the conversation around climate change is changing. Mm. Have you got any more comment on that? Because I've been noticing that too and I think that's really key. Mm. I definitely think that... Um, this is an issue which cannot be politicised. It goes above and beyond politics. Um, and the kind of politics that we have at the moment maybe isn't the right kind of politics we need to to reach climate justice. In terms of the conversation, I think the there's a lot of talk now about climate emergency and climate crisis instead of climate change. And I think that's slowly starting to wake people up to the urgency of the action that we need. Uh, so I think that's that's been quite positive. And also just the increased conversation. Like, well, it's probably slightly different for me, but everyone I talk to... You're in the bubble yeah. now. <laughs> but even some of my friends, um, they say that when they're having a conversation, you know, over coffee with their, with their other friends or they're talking with their parents, climate change is an issue which frequently comes up in conversation. Um, just because I do feel like a lot of people now um, have it, kind of in their heads at points in time or it might pop up when they're doing certain things or thinking about certain things but I think yeah the conversation is shifting in terms of also like I mean I think we're not arguing about whether we need to act or whether we don't and people aren't really arguing too much with the science now I mean you've got climate deniers um, and we've certainly experienced our fair share of, of climate deniers <laughs> really have you had to interact with, with yeah. them on the strikes oh not so much on the strikes but just on social media and sometimes at some of our hui right um, they'll come in and try and yeah so we've had to experience a little bit of that um, but I do think that that conversation is is changing because um, people aren't People are just kind of now talking about how fast we need to act. I think yes. most people acknowledge we do need to take action. We do mm. need to mitigate and adapt to the climate crisis. We do need to fulfill our obligation to the Pacific Islands and our tangas whenua. Um, but for some, maybe that science has slightly got away on them in terms of how quickly that action needs to happen. Mm. And then the, is, the yeah. frontier of the conversation seems to be shifting. Yeah, like, yeah. like you're saying, it's gone from... A few years ago, it was about whether it was a thing. And then it was, well, is it important? And then it was like, well, do I have anything to do with it? And yeah, and people people have just, that we're at the point now, like you say, that people seem to be saying, yeah, this is really bad. This, you know, I'm even comfortable calling it a crisis. It's urgent. It's something urgent. And it doesn't matter where you're coming from on that spectrum um, of how green you are or whatever. Mm. Everybody's sort of feeling the same way that, yeah, we've, we've got to do something. And then it, I just, it was, it stuck out to me when you said that we have to, or that most people don't know what to do, which I guess is what we're trying to uh, work through a bit on this podcast. Mm. Um, and uh, you went from that into, collective action and how important that is mm. yeah so it would that be if 
if someone were to say to you, just say, <laughs> yeah. uh, that what I ask you, what is the one most important thing that you think people could do uh, to save this planet, to resolve the situation, what would it be? I would probably say using their skills in a collective movement. So for some people that might be writing or um, doing podcasts or doing art or um, you know writing media releases and things like that. But what I feel like is really important in this crisis is that we all recognize what skills we have and then connect with other people who might have different skills and work out how we use those to create a collective movement in certain areas. But I think around the conversation and how it's affecting people, I think also because the earth and this being our home is the one thing that we all have in common, that that notion is starting to hit people as well and I think but also that can make people feel powerless and that's what I've found is like because it's a global issue it affects you know our whole home and our whole earth is to be one person out of seven billion um, when there are these massive emitters you look at the 100 companies which are responsible for 72 percent of global emissions and then you think that you know you're just one person and from New Zealand and young and you know I feel like that is where um people maybe feel like they or if they even if they do take you know action in their own lives it won't make a difference but I mean my message to that would be a journey only starts with one step and if we all don't try then how are we ever going to know if we could have averted the crisis if we all sit back and say oh well my action won't make a difference, so I'm not going to mm, try. Mm, mm. Um, then we're just wasting time, frankly. Mm, mm. Um, when we know we only have, as exactly as you said, less than 10 years mm. to act on this. Mm. Um, so I just think starting somewhere, doesn't matter how small, if it, if it is for you, um, you know, reducing your plastic usage or using a metal straw, then that's a place to start. And for me, I started in this climate movement, I've been kind of doing similar things obviously not the strike but have been conscious of climate change since I was 12 so it's taken me six years to build up to kind of doing what I'm doing now and and working in the space I am um but I just think yeah we just have to start somewhere and for some people that will be a lot easier being part of that collective movement and potentially more powerful Um, but I think it's just important that you don't compromise the skills that you have um and the ability that you have to be a part of that as an individual um and this, yeah, the different skills you might offer. But also another thing I would say is um, a really important point at the moment is having those courageous conversations and empowering conversations with each other. So if we're talking to each other um, in a way that disempowers each other, uh, I don't think that's going to be particularly useful when we're in the midst of this crisis. We need to be talking to people in ways that build people up and show them the power that they have as an individual because a lot of what we're talking about at the moment is, oh, well, yeah, we are just one person in a, in a world of 7 billion. But if we're empowering people through our conversations and actually saying, yeah, you're, yeah, I'm an individual and yeah, Greta's an individual, but yeah, we're all we're, individuals. We're all individuals. The people causing the problems are individuals, individuals too. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I think, yeah, you've got to start we somewhere. We can sit around, and, I mean, we can all individually sit around and wonder if one person can make a difference. And there's millions of people sitting around and wondering the same thing. Yeah, it's exactly. A, it's a funny sort of a thing, the the power of the individual. I think, yeah, a lot of people will shock themselves and how much they can do if they just start putting one foot in front of another in a particular oh, direction. 100%, yeah. What are the five demands of the 
school strike for climate? So, yeah, we've kept our five demands relatively simple. Uh, so they're just kind of one-liners. Our first demand is that uh, the New Zealand Parliament declares a nationwide climate emergency. We think this is important to acknowledge the magnitude of the crisis and the urgency at which we need to act. Uh, the thing with the climate emergency, though, is we want to make sure that it doesn't um, kind of put aside our obligation to to Tiriti or Waitangi um, and obviously still takes into account the views of, of minority groups. Our second demand is that we see cross-party consensus on an ambitious zero-carbon bill. Uh, the word ambitious, so the current target in the zero-carbon bill for net zero emissions is 2050. Mm. Frankly, that's not no, it's not, that's okay. not soon enough, and that is putting our future directly at stake, so we will not stand for that. Um, we're standing for a net zero target for 2040. Um, currently, there is no... Uh, mechanism in the bill for the targets to be legally enforceable that's another very important thing from our perspective and we'd also like to see a youth climate coalition set up alongside the um, the climate commission which will be established through the zero carbon bill Um, our third demand is that New Zealand seizes all exploration and extraction of fossil fuels because we cannot be further investing in an industry which directly puts Uh, our planet, our collective home at stake. And we already know that we have more in our reserves that we can afford to burn, than we can afford to burn, sorry, to to actually avoid catastrophic climate the climate crisis so that's another another one of our demands fourth demand is a regenerative and renewable economy so how are we um how are we making sure that the jobs that we create will actually be around for my generation um and creating that just transition for people working in those industries which are harming our planet and our fifth demand is ensuring that we have a plan in place for uh, people who either a force to or um, would like to move from the Pacific Islands to New Zealand as climate survivors. Uh, and we appreciate that that would be migration with dignity. Um, and we kind of want to make sure that that plan for um, climate survivors is worked alongside them to ensure that it's an empowering experience so that people from the Pacific Islands, if they do need to leave their home, can actually um, come to New Zealand with, with no barriers. Do you know much about, um, on that last point, because that's really interesting, I hadn't heard that before, of forming a pathway for Pacific people to come mm. um, as a result of the climate emergency. Is, is that being talked about at like a politics level at the moment? Are politicians taking that on board at all at the moment? I think a little bit. I think there's a bit of talk about climate refugees uh, and... From is that what you're talking about or is that slightly different? It's it's the same thing, but just a different way of saying it. So from the conversations we've had with the Pacific Climate Warriors, who are an incredible group of rangatahi, mm. they have said that the term climate survivors puts them in a kind of victim position and it oh, makes refugee. them seem, Yeah, refugee. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so if, if they're labelled as climate refugees, it kind of puts them in the space of like climate change is only affecting them and they're the ones that... Um, are victims of climate change. So the term climate survivors is, you know, potentially they that term sits better with them mm-hmm. because... Um, it's sort of what you were talking about before. It's more empowering yeah. to the individual and it doesn't sort yeah. of have this innately doom and gloom yeah. and we mm-hmm. can't do anything yeah. about it, nature to it. And they say, you know, we're not drowning, we're fighting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to let the water rise. They want to stay in the Pacific yeah. Islands. Um so I think that's an important, important, important point to make that we don't just um, 
you know, encourage them to come here and that they migrate with dignity here if they choose, if and when they choose to. Um, and just, yeah, the idea of a refugee doesn't doesn't sit well with the it's a very politicized and, term isn't yeah. it um it's really sad what's happened to that term actually but that's sort of a, a chat for another podcast <laughs> um unfortunately and are you so i've sort of asked you this question before but like i'll rephrase it slightly it, it do you feel like you're getting anywhere with this government? Do you feel like they're listening? Do how do you think this government is sort of doing with these um, priorities? I do feel like there is, it is on their their agenda. It is on their kind of priority list. Uh, I do acknowledge that it's difficult when obviously it's a coalition government, and that definitely puts up a few barriers in some of those pe- for some of those people who do really want to make that uh, those urgent changes. Um, so that's a bit of an obstacle that um, is unfortunate, but we can't necessarily change right at the minute. Uh, but maybe next year we'll we'll see some change to that. Uh, and I do acknowledge the work that they have done up until now, but frankly, it's just not enough. Yeah. And when we met with the Prime Minister and James Shaw, we're not afraid to say that, that no party is doing enough because they need to be held to account. And even if they are, um, you know, they've just announced their climate action framework and um, the zero carbon bill was a great step, but we're backing them to go further. And that's an important part and a role of the school strike for climate movement is actually building that political capital for those leaders that do have a real drive to take urgent action on climate change is we as a movement have to back them and show that actually the school strike for climate movement will be here for you Mm. and we'll be supporting you to to make those changes that you need to make because we acknowledge that it's hard i i Mm. think that is such a great thing you recognize because the the school strikers i think have so much political capital and sorry to put it in such cynical terms but like everyone wants to get every politician wants to get their photo with you guys who are organizing this you guys are cool like you know you're you're a a group that politicians and people wanting voters approval they want to be associated with you guys so i think it's great and really important that you're making sure you don't sort of fawn Mm. over big Mm. important people Mm. even if it is Jacinda who's sort of you know very cool and especially in the international eye and that that still remains steadfastly you've got to hold these people to Mm. account and obviously um yeah we're definitely seeing impacts of the movement from within what we're doing and the conversations we're having but the important thing to acknowledge that is that this is only the beginning of the school strike movement in New Zealand. We've been Mm -hmm. going for six months, just over six months. So we're committed to continuing on uh, this fight for climate justice. This is, you know, we've only kind of had our first strike. We didn't know how it was going to go. Our second one was kind of, um, you know, building up to this next intergenerational strike. Which again is... Just oh, happened the, for the, the people interge- who are, yeah. <laughs> who are the listening now. Yeah. Strike. And that went really well. <laughs> it went really well. Yeah. I'll so. bet it did. <laughs> I was there. Was <laughs> yeah. So we'll just we'll just see where it goes, and we're definitely not ruling out any other tactics as well because we've we've done three strikes. So this is kind of um, we've just done our third strike against the government, and we've given them the third strike, and. Um, you know, now we we might be moving on to to something else. We're not quite sure. We haven't really developed the strategy for for now. Now that we're after the strike, so we're having those conversations. So just still carrying on, working out what works best, yeah, rather than what's getting the best tactic to uh, leave just a assuming it's a strike. Yeah. it's just we'd need this change. How do we how best do we do affect it? it? So exactly. you're leaving yourselves open to sort of entering a new phase, which 
could be a bit more intense perhaps oh we're leaving it very open at the moment um and it's important that it's developed that that strategy going forward is developed with everyone in the group mm-hmm. um and everyone that wants to continue to be involved so we're definitely not uh you know yeah we're not committed to doing like a strike every month we yeah, kind of yeah. haven't really figured out if, if yeah striking is the best lever to to trigger change and we've done three so um yeah, just wondering if there's other tactics to explore. So mm. we'll definitely be working alongside. It's good to put that intent groups. out there too. Yeah. People can hear that and, and, and if just you have ideas, ideas, get in touch with us. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we just want to create this movement with the people of New Zealand as well because um, people power, I think, will we'll get us through. This episode is brought to you by Atik. Atik is a New Zealand natural beauty company that stopped over 3.3 million plastic wow. bottles going to landfill. That is a lot, eh? It's like, that's a lot. Their gorgeous hair, face and body wash products are mindfully packaged in biodegradable and compostable materials because Atik are dedicated to building a better world. Atik's products are all certified animal cruelty free, made of only plant-based and vegan ingredients and they're kind to your wallet because they last two to five times longer than bottled beauty products. Get yourself or someone you care about some Atik today by going to atikworld.com. And that's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. It's French, I think. Do you have any interaction with Extinction Rebellion? Because they're a group who I guess would be the, um, in some ways sort of a, a, a mirrored adult version of this movement, mm. I feel like putting themselves in harm's way often and trying to be disruptive and noisy and uh, a group of activists that come together with collective action to try and slow things down to bring attention to this issue. Is is there any comms going on with them? Yeah, we've definitely had conversations with Extinction Rebellion, um, but like we have with other groups such as Greenpeace and 350 and Generation Zero, Te Fatu, Pacific Climate Warriors, so there's actually so many groups working in the space. Um, Extinction Rebellion has a slightly different focus in that they're kind of um, doing like non-violent direct action, so they're more... Um, putting themselves on the line up for being arrested kind of thing but when our movement has kids that are really young it's uh, a risk that yeah probably, good call yeah we're not entering into that just yet um, wait for the eight-year-olds <laughs> to get at least 12 yeah yeah so we've we've definitely had conversations with them and they're very supportive of our movement and we're supportive of what they do um but we acknowledge that they're kind of at the moment probably best as and more effective as two separate yeah movements obviously yeah and what do you say to critics because there's particularly i mean i've got to say it politicians on the right who sort of scream and yell go back to school kids should be in school you know what do you know what do you say to those older people we don't give them out energy we don't we don't even bother <laughs> what a mature approach to a bunch of immature adults. i mean the Love thing it. is also is that yeah these people are kind of are talking about what we're doing they're talking about our strike it's on their radar um and that's creating conversation so thanks for for creating that discussion to those people um but yeah we we've tended to not engage with those kinds of comments Mm. and just focus on the positivity um that we have within the movement and support we do have because that's overwhelmingly more than Mm. some of those comments from mps uh so yeah and do you, I mean, you actually did touch on this a little bit, particularly with um, Pacific people who might be needing a pathway to come here who are climate survivors. But do you think there's anything distinct about kind of the character of the New Zealand part of this movement versus other parts of the world? Hmm. Or how connected are you to these other movements as well? Around yeah, the place? so in New Zealand, I mean, 
with our indigenous peoples, our Māori people, that's um, a big kind of um, part of the movement that we're definitely trying to to grow and um, link back to some of those key principles of kaitiakitanga and manakitanga. So that's quite different in the New Zealand context. Um, also, we have some places that are very small holding strikes. So at some, there might only be five to ten people and they they make it seem like there's so many more. They they have their megaphones too. They march up and down their main street. Um, there might only be a couple of cars that go past the whole time. But the thing that wow. I love is that it's just so, you know, like they're just so committed to it and they're standing up for their future and the passion and the dedication to the cause is there no matter how many people they're standing alongside. So that's quite different in that in the international context, a small event is 4,000 um, potentially. So we're connected in with the international movement. There's a group chat of about 180 of us from different countries and we talk every day. Holy uh, smokes. There yeah. must be a heck of a thread. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, when I check my phone after this, I'm going to have like 300. Honestly, it's crazy. And also in the middle of the night because the time yeah. zone. So yeah, it goes And New Zealand's off. the opposite to, yeah, I yeah. imagine, a lot of the people you'd be communicating with as well. Yeah. So we have video calls with them as well to just keep each other updated and share tactics and what's worked and what hasn't. Um, but I think that's another awesome thing that I love about the international movement is... Um, a couple of questions also have been around like, well, what do you think the international community, like leaders internationally need to do um, to kind of connect on this issue? Because obviously there are still some um, differing views uh, on the urgency of action. But I think us young people, I mean, we can do it. So I think that's what kind of gives me hope as well is that these young people from all different countries, all different backgrounds, cultures, we can come together and organize this global movement. Um, so and you're sort of saying, me, well, why the hell hope. can't you guys get in a room? Yeah. Like we're communicating yeah, yeah. with it every day. We're so. talking. Yeah. And yeah, we have different, um, you know, ways that our cultures operate and all of those things. But actually, um, we we're talking about how this is bigger than politics. It's like, everyone will be affected eventually and it's our collective home that's at stake. So yeah, just kind of putting some of that stuff aside and saying, you know, we're all human um, and let's get to the heart of this and connect on that. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a message mm. as well is like us young people are, are doing it right now um, every day. <laughs> so yeah. Really, I mean, that's really hopeful because I think for a lot of people, that that understanding of what it is to be human can can be the thing that gives us hope, mm. but it can also be the thing that makes us feel hopeless mm. because we look at um, yeah. the 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 systems that we have in place uh, and our current solutions for for living and there's an aspect of that that I think a lot of us just feel like is just human. It's just human to live this way and it's just human to find it very difficult to perhaps not buy the cheapest thing or um, make some sort of a concession to climate change that is a it's it's a negative force but it's not like a war where there's this imminent threat um, yeah. as in you can see the planes uh, flying over and so there's this there's this to and fro I think for people if we if we saw our humanness as something that was just absolutely our strength, that no, oh, we're human. Great, that's awesome. Let's go. We're human, so of course we'll be able to coordinate this, and of course we'll have the heart and the empathy to be able to pull this off. But um, 
there's that other aspect of humanness and we need it's so important for us to perceive ourselves as people as as a uh, you know we're not amoebas mm. viruses you know we often get compared to viruses because it's the way we've sort of been multiplying on the planet mm. and the similar aspect but we're not we've got this really awesome empathy and an amazing ability to uh, stop and which is exactly what we're doing it's to the point now where we understand the issues and we are actually catching up with that yeah and just on that as well there's so many uh, animals that are being affected by climate change and they don't have a voice um, and as humans we have that responsibility um, and also the ability to speak up for those animals and protect our ecosystems so I think that's another way in which we can use our um, human humanism to to stand up for mm. for those animals that don't have a voice mm. and our planet doesn't have a voice yeah and who doesn't have a voice yeah. so um, you know we're kind of killing her but she can't say anything and she can't express her um, disgust or anger or fear that I can express. So if I'm expressing that on behalf of, you know, what our planet is feeling, then that's a way that I think we can all contribute to mm. solving the crisis. Um, not to go on a bummer note after that very uplifting one, but I'm just kind of interested and in, this sort of relates to what you're saying about particularly empathy with I think your generation, it's been a real hallmark. It's its interesting, you know, how we always talk about and segment the different generations and what the characteristics are of Gen Xs and Millennials and Generation Z and all of that. But it does seem like the current crop of sort of, um, you know, 12 to 18-year-olds that are coming through at the moment, the things that seem to be hallmarks of that generation are like extreme empathy and uh, like anxiety from quite a young age. And I think that those things are probably related to mm. this issue. Has, have I got that wrong or has that been your experience of people your age that they seem to be very like concerned with other people? And it's, yeah, it, just, it, it seems quite different from even my generation. Like I'm 31, so I'm not super old, mm -hmm. but um, I don't hang out with a lot of teenagers at the moment. But it just <laughs> seems like looking around online and that, that there's an incredible empathy and kind of connection to not wanting to hurt other people emotionally and wanting to be very inclusive, especially of minority groups that are maybe disempowered. And yeah, has, has that been your experience of the people around your age? Yeah, 100% it has. And that's what gives me a lot of hope as well, because um, to think that there is this generation that's coming coming through. And I think we do have to acknowledge, though, the kind of pave the, the, um, the way that the generations before us have paved the way for us to be maybe a generation that is, is the way that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, that gives me a lot of hope and I've seen that. Um, but in terms of the anxiety, I've seen, you know, people in the movement feel guilty for watching a Netflix show because they just feel like the weight of um, the climate crisis is on their shoulders. And if they're not using every minute of every day to do what they can, then maybe it's not enough and maybe it won't be enough. Um, so I think that anxiety of feeling like if we don't, if us young people don't do it, then no one will is quite can be quite crippling and um, could potentially lead to burnout as well. Um, but I think that because, as you said, we are quite an inclusive, I feel, generation, that that kind of workload and um, responsibility is almost being shared amongst our generation and different groups who are, um, as I mentioned before, like empowering people into what their strengths are. You know, we've got different groups who are kind of, you know, we've got some artists, we've got a group of artists and um, other groups, but, you know, those artists are beginning to think about how they can use their art to share, 
you know, the messages of School Strike for Climate. So we've just had a couple of murals painted. So it's things like that where skills can link up um, and we can all kind of be inclusive in that sense as well. That's mm. awesome. It is awesome. Do you, So do you have any Netflix watching guilt? Yeah, I, well, I don't have Netflix, but <laughs> we also don't have TV or anything at home. Um, but when you, but how, how do you find it personally, that ability to switch off and just say, you know, I'm going to enjoy... Can you be 18 and, at any yeah, point, to enjoy my day. <laughs> I find it really hard. Really, really, really hard. Um, yeah. I mean, pretty much every... Every spare moment I have when I'm not working or when I'm not running my council campaign or, um, you know, those things will be spent on school strike. And that does tend to be the whole day. Um, and I don't know, it it just feels, I do feel that sense of guilt, kind of, and also just like fear that maybe if I'm not using my time in this way to protect our future, that maybe when we get to, you know, five, ten years time, that I'll be thinking to myself, or maybe if I spent those extra few days, I could have, we could have made that difference as a movement to get there. And I guess it just worries me that I'll look back and go, oh, I didn't do everything I could. Um, which is tough because it does place a huge burden when I would love to just be an 18 year old, to be honest. Um, and I would love to not bear this on my shoulders, but I just I can't take it off I can't well yeah. if I can yeah. if I can have a run at if I can attempt to frame this in a way that you can sort of justify it to yourself <laughs> I think it's important to remind yourself of like the reason why everyone is and you are fighting so hard to make this change is so that we can kind of have this enjoyable human life on this planet and enjoy mm-hmm. all the cool things that make us human so like maybe feel free to enjoy some, a slice of that every yeah. now and then to remind <laughs> yourself you. of what the whole you know mission mm. is about mm. get a get a playstation or something you know play <laughs> go to an arcade for, for yeah. half a day or something but um, thank you so much for coming and joining us and, and talking to us, Sophie. I think that your tip of finding your unique skills and plugging that into collective action is such a phenomenal um, mm. tip for everyone to take on board. Mm. And what you're doing is brilliant. And can we um, shout out your your campaign? What are you running for? What's happening at the moment? <laughs> so I'm running for the Pakakirikiro Mati Ward on the Kapiti Coast District Council. Um and yeah that was kind of a decision which and a move in my life which I never ever thought I would do especially not this year um but yeah talking about the urgency I just it's kind of really really starting to hit me and it has been for you know this year and last year as well um and I just feel like that's another way that I can pull a few levers and and start to make um, some changes if I have the the honor of being elected um so obviously i'm running on climate justice and action on the climate crisis so my council in carpety has committed to being carbon neutral by 2025 which is great they've declared a climate emergency but gone no further um there's no plan of what that climate emergency will mean uh, no actions which are planned to kind of meet that notion of a climate emergency which isn't the best we've got young people couch surfing around Carpety showing up the door showing up at the doors of our youth support and zeal uh, networks needing a place to stay uh, and currently receiving no support and I don't know I just I feel really uncomfortable to sit back and see some of that stuff happen in my community and 
and know that maybe I could be making some change and representing some of those voices if I get in. But yeah, I do just feel, um, it feels morally wrong to me to sit back, for me to sit back and, and see that happen, but kind of sit on my hands a little bit and not not do what I can. Sounds like you've identified your skill set and you're, you're running with it. And I have to say, you do not sound 18. Oh, wow. Thank you. In a good way, right? Yeah. Just, yeah, you have a real maturity and, and wisdom and it's been a huge, you actually, I almost cried. It's the closest I've got to crying in this podcast, just hearing your, your passion and where you're at. And She's a tough nut to crack this way, Vanine. <laughs> you're doing well if you get a tear out of here. Ooh, what can I say to end this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for a yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm close, I'm close. But it's been a huge privilege just to connect with you over this last mm. hour and um, to connect with your journey. And um, yeah, totally humbled by what you're doing. Thank you for having me, Wave and Tim. I've really, really enjoyed it. Keep fighting the good fight. And in the show notes will be information so that you can find Sophie online. And uh, if you are in that region as well, what's the voting block called again? What's the... Paikakuri Hiromati. How far does that run? Where does that... So it, it kind of has the whole of Paikakuri mm-hmm. uh, And then it goes to Ihakura Street, which is in Paraparaumu. Mm-hmm. So it has the whole of Romati in it. So I don't know if that would make much sense to many people, properties. but if you're yep. there, yeah. <laughs> Lovely part of the country. Yeah. If you are there or you know people are there, please get them to have a look into Sophie's campaign urgently because voting's happening like right now, right now. as you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much for joining us, Sophie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's lovely, lovely afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to our wonderful sponsor, Atik. Atik are a zero-waste beauty company dedicated to ridding the world of plastic waste. Woo! Get yourself or someone you love some Atik products from atikworld.com. <laughs>